How awesome to have a song written to your mission statement. Thank you, Earl. Thank you, music team. Pretty cool. Let's continue moving together as we read uh, today's scripture from Matthew 4, uh, 1 through 11. I'm reading from the ESV. Then Jesus was led up to the Holy, was led up by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit. Sorry, I can't see this very good. I may have to get it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Then Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. As the kids are dismissed, we can turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Thank you, Randy, for reading our scripture. Thank you again, Earl and music team, for leading us in worship and especially for that new song. There was a comedy sketch on TV some years ago with Bob Newhart playing a therapist. Did you ever see that? A new client comes in and begins to describe her struggles that are causing her great fear and anxiety. Newhart's character, Dr. Switzer, asks her several questions to get to the bottom of what the root issue is, and he finally determines it's claustrophobia. He says, all right, Catherine, I'm going to say two words to you right now, and I want you to listen very, very carefully. And I want you to take these two words out of my office and out into your life and apply them to your life. Okay, you ready for these two words? Here they are. Stop it. Stop it. She doesn't quite understand. She asks him to clarify and he just keeps repeating, stop it. She tries to explain more, but you don't understand the root cause of my issues. He says, we don't go there. Just stop it. She decides to share more of her struggles and her disorders, but his answer is the same to everyone. Stop it. You think of your own struggles, your own temptations that tend to trip you up in the Christian life. Sometimes we think stop it is the best uh, advice or ammunition we have. Sometimes that's the message we tell one another or tell ourselves, maybe especially. But that's really lousy advice from Dr. Switzer and in the Christian life. We can feel helpless. We can feel just prone to sin. We can think our behavior then and our failure then determines who we are our identity as just nothing but sinners. But we have it backwards, if that's the way we think. 
So we'll see from the example of the Lord Jesus this morning, our behavior flows from our identity. Our behavior doesn't determine our identity. As Christians, we don't face temptation in our own strength, but with the strength of Christ in us. Continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we saw Jesus baptized as he began his public ministry. This week, we'll see Jesus be tempted in the wilderness by Satan. In our series through Matthew, we're looking particularly at what it means to live out our kingdom identity that Jesus teaches us so much about through his teaching and through his life. What it means to live out this kingdom identity here and now. And our passage this morning speaks directly to this. Jesus shows us how to face temptation in light of our identity in him. Would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Our Father, we're grateful for the time we can share together this morning, another Sunday. And Father, we do lift our praise and our worship to you. We acknowledge your presence with us. We thank you for your presence with us. And we come to you depending on you to speak to us from your word. And so transform us together to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. We'll turn to Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible in front of you, that text is also on the bulletin page of our website. But before we look at Matthew 4, let's look at just the end of chapter 3 really quick, which sets the scene for the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So God speaks these words over Jesus. These are words of identity. This is who Jesus is, the Father's beloved Son. And then immediately we have chapter 4. Matthew 4, verse 1. Look at it. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew wants us to see the connection. Here, between Jesus' baptism and his subsequent testing in the wilderness. I say testing here because this Greek word can be translated either tempt or test, and really there's both going on here. The devil is, of course, actively trying to tempt Jesus to get him to sin, but really the whole thing, as it's Matthew makes very clear, led by the Spirit, this is all really under the authority and the sovereignty of God, which has Jesus face testing in light of his identity that was just declared over him by God at his baptism. Scripture presents the devil as a very real and a very personal adversary to God and his people, but make no mistake, he's not God's equal. He may think here in this passage, and he may think in our lives, he's always undermining God's plan, when really God's in control all along. And we should never take our enemy lightly. But this passage reminds us that in Christ, he has no ultimate power over us. But there's more going on here. Remember the idea of fulfillment as a key word in Matthew's gospel. Look at verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now the number 40 and being in the wilderness would obviously remind uh, the original readers of this gospel and us today of the nation Israel wandering in the wilderness 40 years waiting to enter the promised land. 
That is the very same context of all of the passages that Jesus will quote to the enemy uh, in his temptation. Remember, Matthew has already portrayed Jesus as the new David. He's already shown Jesus to be the new Moses. And here again, we see he is the new Israel come to succeed where the nation had failed. He's passed through the waters of the Jordan just as Israel passed through the Red Sea. And now he's going to face the very same temptations they faced in the wilderness. This temptation comes when he is at his weakest. After fasting 40 days, Matthew tells us he was hungry. Thank you, Matthew, for that crucial detail. Never would have guessed that he would be hungry after 40 days. Obviously an understatement, okay? We can, we can understand what it feels like to be hungry. How many of you are hungry after missing just one meal? We get a little hangry, right? After just one meal. Try 40 days. He's hungry. Thank you, Matthew. So we have some idea of just how physically weak Jesus is here. How weak he must have been at this moment. So the enemy steps in right here to take full advantage of the situation. Look at the first temptation in verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now don't miss those first words. If you are the Son of God. Does that sound familiar? This connects to the Father's words just spoken over Jesus at his baptism. This is my beloved Son. So the devil says, okay, if that's true, let's prove it and then satisfy your own desires at the same time. Do you see how powerful this temptation is? Because it gets right at Jesus' own hunger, but it also gets at his very identity. The tempter could have just said, Jesus, you, got, you have all the power to make the stones bread, so just do it. You're hungry. But instead, he says, you know what, Jesus, if you're really God's beloved, do you think he wants you to be this hungry? You see the difference? Remember Israel in the wilderness, how often they lost their way when they were hungry? Things are going great till their stomachs start to grumble. And then it's Moses, Moses, you led us out into the wilderness just to kill us. Slavery in Egypt was so much better. Like a broken record. Every time they're hungry, that's what they say. See, in their complaint, they don't just ask for food. They accuse God of abandoning them. Over and over again, in their hunger, they forget who they are as God's people. They forget their very identity, and they step, they fall headfirst into temptation. Now, would it have been a sin for Jesus to feed himself? To use his miraculous power to turn the stones into bread? Satan doesn't entice him with a real obvious, blatant sin, which reminds us that it doesn't just matter what we do and say, but how we do it. The heart behind what we do and say. See, Jesus recognized God had brought him to this place of hunger. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be hungry. And so satisfying himself at this moment would get in the way of God's purpose. Look at his response in verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus doesn't entertain the temptation for a second. He goes right to scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3 here, but it's just part of the verse. Listen to the whole verse that Jesus quotes. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know 
that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This verse, Jesus quotes, shows he's identifying with his people in the wilderness. It connects to his mission, and it shows that Jesus learned the lesson that Israel failed to learn, to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This verse tells us that God brings us hunger. God brings us discomfort. God brings us humbling experiences to teach us this very same lesson to hunger for God above all else. When we're hungry, when we're suffering, when we're in discomfort, how often do we immediately do whatever we have to do to step out of that discomfort without first considering the will of God? Or worse, in suffering, we forget who we are. We turn on God. We echo the words of the devil. God, if I was really your beloved son and daughter, you would not let me suffer like this. Not realizing all along that God let us hunger. So we would learn to hunger for him. In the very next chapter of Matthew, Jesus will promise blessing on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. With the promise they shall be satisfied. Jesus did it first. We have the same calling to follow him in this hunger. May we learn this lesson that Jesus learned and modeled for us, not to live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Well, the devil's not ready to give up yet. Look at the second temptation, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, whether Jesus takes him there physically or just in a vision, he has Jesus look down from this dizzying height at the top of the temple, and he quotes Psalm 91. Again, it's the language, if you are the Son of God, getting to his identity, then surely God's promise of protection here in Psalm 91 would apply to you of all people. Some see here a temptation for Jesus to reveal himself dramatically, as Messiah, to leap from the top of the temple and not to be hurt, to really wow the crowd, to take his place as their king. Remember, Jesus is just beginning his public ministry, so the enemy plays on that, tempting Jesus to accomplish this part of his mission, but in a way other than God had planned. See, Satan can tempt us not just with the wrong things, but he so often tempts us with the the right things to be done in the wrong way or at the wrong time. So we need to be very careful about grasping for things, grasping for status, even grasping for blessings that God intends for us, but not in God's time and not in God's way. And this temptation is even more twisted because Satan uses Scripture. Don't miss that. We can very easily distort God's Word to make it say what we want especially when it's something we want to fall out for our good and our blessing. Satan and Jesus both use Scripture here. Only Jesus uses it rightly. Do you ever wonder why Jesus used Scripture here to answer the devil? I mean, he's the Son of God. His own words are already authoritative. His own words literally are the very words that proceed from the mouth of God. Did you ever think about that? But he's showing the authority of Scripture and its power in the face of temptation. 
Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus again turns this section from Deuteronomy 6 through 8, and here he quotes 6.16. In the original context there, Moses is telling the people not to put their God to the test like they did at Massa. If you remember what happened at Massa in Exodus 17, the people were thirsty. Surprise, surprise. They said, Moses, why would you bring us out of Egypt just to kill us with thirst? They're testing God there. They're manipulating God to give him what they wanted. Now notice this is very different than praying a prayer of faith. It's It's right for us to pray boldly. For us to ask God to do what only he can do. Jesus commands us to pray that way. But the difference here is manipulating God for their own selfish gain. Rather than praying for God's will. Rather than praying for God's glory. Waiting on God's time for him to give us what we need. And Jesus says, though this glory is rightfully mine, even Jesus says, I'm not going to grab it. I'm not going to grab the glory. That belongs to me. I'm not going to grab it until God gives it to me. The devil tries again. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. I don't think this is just an empty promise. The devil does have some temporary power in this world. So to some degree, he could have made good on this promise. I'll I'll give all this to you if you just worship me. Now, this temptation isn't quite as subtle, I think, as the first two were, as if the devil's just seeing it's three strikes and I'm out, so I better just cut straight to the point. But this is still a very powerful temptation. Why? It's a temptation to take the easy way. To get the power, to get the glory, again, that's rightfully his, that's coming to him, but to avoid the way of the cross. Doesn't the enemy tempt us the same way? You can be a Christian, you can be a Christ follower without taking up your cross and following him. You can decide what's best for your own spiritual life. You don't have to reconcile with that Christian friend because after all it was their fault. You don't have to tell your friends about Jesus because they might get offended and that's really hard. You can stay in your comfort zone and pretend you can grow at the same time. See, we can very easily give in to the temptation to avoid following Jesus where he really wants to lead us. We like to dress it up with spiritual language. I feel a peace. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? It's the kind of thing like if I had a nickel, right, for every time... I said that, or I heard someone else say that to justify something blatantly unbiblical. Who doesn't feel a peace about going the easy route? The Spirit does give us a very real peace when we're stepping into a place that God is leading us. But watch out for that false peace that comes from avoiding the hard thing, from avoiding the cost of obedience the cost of discipleship, the way of the cross. And it seems in every age, the church as a whole faces this temptation to grab for power in the world at the cost of the way of the cross. Too often we can't resist. Verse 10, 
And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. For the first time, Jesus calls him Satan, the enemy. As this temptation for worldly power is so contrary to the advance of Christ's kingdom. Jesus quotes again from Deuteronomy 6. There, Moses tells the people, don't forget who delivered you from Egypt. And for us, this is saying, don't forget who you are as a child of God, a citizen of Christ's kingdom. This is about him, not us. Verse 11, then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I love this. Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. And he does. All the power that the enemy has, he just leaves. He has to leave when Jesus tells him to. And then, look, the angels come to minister to Jesus. Remember how Satan tempted him with angelic help back in verse number 6? Well, now they come at the right time. The angels bring him food. The angels strengthen him and encourage him. But we may wonder how useful this passage is for us when we struggle, when we're tempted. I mean, if Jesus could not have sinned as the perfect son of God, how is this a real temptation? How does this relate to me? Maybe you envision this something like watching an Olympic athlete doing like 30 flips in the air with a perfect landing and then saying, okay, your turn. You see Jesus that way sometimes? It's like, wait. You're the Olympian. I can't, I can't do that. See, if we think Jesus passed through this temptation and is now waiting on the other side with arms crossed, waiting for us to do the same, then we've missed something. We've missed the whole point. See, Jesus is so much more than a, an example for us to follow. See, we can't follow his example perfectly. That's the point. That's the reason Jesus came for us in the first place, isn't it? Jesus resists this temptation not just to show us how it's done, but to do it for us. Remember how clear Matthew wants us to see the connection, the parallel of Israel's testing in the wilderness. Where they failed, he came to succeed. Not to rub it in their face, but to say, I'm doing this for you. And not just for Israel, for all of us, for all humanity. These three temptations in the wilderness parallel another three temptations from the enemy in the Garden of Eden. To their physical appetite, the enemy said to Adam and Eve, you may eat of any tree. For their personal gain, he said, you will not die. And for their power and their glory, he tempted them by saying, you will be like God. See, these temptations are nothing new. The enemy just dresses them up in different language. We've been falling for them ever since as humanity. So Jesus came to take care of our sin problem. He came to win the victory for us. He didn't stand back and judge us for the temptations that we fall into, but he entered into them. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he came not to condemn you for your sin, but to save you from it. He gave his life on the cross in our place so that we might receive his righteousness. You receive that gift not by earning any part of it, 
yourself, but by accepting it through faith. And as believers, we're not exempt from temptation. We face temptation all the time. James 4, 7 reminds us to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The primary way we resist the work of the enemy is through the word of God, just like Jesus did here. We need to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that word of God becomes our ammunition against the enemy. And so how important it is for us then to saturate our minds and our hearts with Scripture. So it will come to mind in the moments that we need it. What are your primary temptations in this season of your life? Have you memorized scriptures that speak directly to those temptations? And the enemy knows when we're at our weakest, and that's when he tempts us. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not messing around. And what's his aim, by the way? Just to get us to commit some random sin here and there? No. His aim is to derail us from God's plan for our lives. His aim is to derail us from the way of the cross. And just like with Jesus, he goes right for our identity. If you're really God's son or daughter, to make us forget who we are. So often when we give in to temptation, it's because even if for just a moment we've forgotten who we are in Christ. We're God's people. We're forgiven. We're reconciled in Christ. We're eternally members of his kingdom. And so we need to remember that our identity is not determined by our behavior. It's not determined by our failure and how often we give in to temptation. And we will and we do. Our identity is unshakable in Christ. Our identity never changes. And so we need to face temptation in light of who we are. We need to lean on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus is our high priest. He says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Remember, he overcame those temptations For us, not to stand in judgment, but to offer us grace, to offer us mercy when we ask for it. And we need it. Praise God that when we face temptation, when we struggle with sin, Jesus doesn't look down from heaven and say, just stop it. Come on. Again, really? Just stop it. No, Jesus said, I'll take on flesh and I'll enter into their temptations. Jesus said, I'll take on flesh and I'll give my life to break the power of sin and death so they can live in freedom. I love the way author James Bryan Smith put it. He said, we are not only forgiven, we have participated in Christ's death and resurrection. I am not trying to live a sinless life like Jesus. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, is now living in me. Did you hear that? I'm not trying to live a sinless life like Jesus. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, is now living in me. So let's stop trying to live like Jesus in our own strength. 
Let's draw on his provision as he lives his life in us and through us. Because in Christ, when God looks at us, despite our continuing struggles, despite how we fail and how we sin, God looks at us in Jesus Christ and says, that right there is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. And that is the identity that we live from. That is the identity that we face temptation with, living with the power of that truth. Let's pray together. Close with a prayer by Martin Luther. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you know that we are set in the midst of so many great dangers. That by reason of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. And so grant us such strength and protection to support us in all danger and temptation. To carry us through temptation, through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us stand.